Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, we're going to have a little bit uh, fun here in the next half hour of the show. This is Oilers Now, brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. Stoffer Inspector, an extra half hour today. Horse racing, Alberta against Century Mile, uh, the casino side. Uh, the track opening up on the 1st. The horses uh, on April 28th. We'll tell you the guests on the show receive gift uh, cards to Japanese Village. Steak and seafood cooked right at your table. Japanese Village, Edmonton, South Downtown, Northside, and Shore Park. We welcome uh, Ken Lowe, who has spent years working for the Edmonton Eskimos and the Edmonton Oilers, as well as Hockey Canada, announced as the 2019 inductee for the Professional Hockey Athletic Trainers Society. Ken, you're here with two of your favorite guys. Not really. Uh, Stopper Inspector, but uh, uh, congratulations. Explain to us what exactly is the Professional Hockey Athletic Trainers Society. Uh, basically, Bob, that's the trainer society we've been together with for since day one. Let's move that okay. mic over, and let's give them work this out here with this headset, too. There we go. Gotcha. Right. Okay. A PS stands for Professional Hockey Athletic Trainers Association, and you also see SPEM, which is Sports Professional Equipment Managers. And we've been together since day one when I first started, okay? And it's an association that every year that we got together <clears throat> at the end of the season, it's all the trainers and all the equipment managers and all the, the suppliers. And it's about four to 500 people every year. And when I first started, it was, uh, you know, back in 1990, it was more of a get-together, you right. know, than anything. Now it's an educational, you must be there sort of thing. So it's it's gone a long way. You know, in 1994, we finally got into the Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, you know, uh, so it's an honor to be able to go in. Hardest working guys in the business, right, are the, are the trainers and the equipment guys. They're the ones that when the plane flies from St. Louis to Columbus after the game, the players go to their hotel rooms, the trainers and equipment guys go to the rink, Right with a bunch of wet gear from the St. Louis game. Now they're at the rink in Columbus at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., right, hanging gear. And then when we come to the rink the next and morning, Bob, you know this, who's the first guys at yeah. the rink in the morning? It's the trainers. And then the therapists are also the guys on the plane that are dealing with the players or the various <laughs> yeah. uh, injuries. And uh, in, in the case of Jack and myself, because we're on every trip, yeah. we only look forward on the plane, <laughs> yeah. right? Because nothing that we see when we look backward, as we walk back to our seat, do we ever report? That's just common courtesy for how the business works. And it's uh, the travel. Uh, how did that change things for you guys in terms of the, the treatment of the players, knowing that you'd be flying immediately after the games when there, in some cases, it would be fairly significant injuries, as opposed to when you used to do it, when the team would stay overnight before teams used to fly uh, charter? Or charter. How did that change? From me, perspective, you know, from from a real more perspective, is is trying to get them ice as soon as possible. And and you know, I go back to my years with Mac T, and Mac T wanted to get there that out of there so quickly. You know, he wanted to be on the plane thirty minutes after the game. You know, and I said, Mac, just give me a chance. I want to make sure the guys are sore. I want to get a good icing on them. Then the new in the. 2000s, you know, the the uh, uh, an icing machine called the Game Ready came along, and uh, it was quite interesting. I I learned about it from Danny Heatley, 
you know, of all things that won the World Cup in 2004. That started to make it really easier so that you can ice players on the on the, on the the plane. And so I used to always make sure I iced them when we were taking off and when, and when we were coming in. How did you get into this? Like, because you started off on the football side, not the hockey side. With your, But how did you get it? How far back are we going? Like in the late 70s? Like when did yeah, you get started? Yeah. You know what? I went to Concordia University in Montreal. I went there as a hockey player. I was a goaltender. Okay. Paul Arsenal was the coach back there. After my first year, you know, <clears throat> I had a serious head injury and that pretty well ended my hockey career. Uh, I stayed around and the athletic therapist at that time was a guy by the name of Gary Cummings, young guy. And he took me under his wing and I have to, I have to thank Gary Cummings. I have to thank Paul Arsenal for being in this field. I, just to freak out our listeners, I have a uh, DVD at home of the 1992 National Championship game where Alberta uh, won the title against uh, Acadia, and Paul Arsenault was doing color on that broadcast. How small of a world is that? Hmm. So it, it, it really is. Okay. And, and Paul was Paul came over from Sir George Williams at the right. time. Okay? Well, they and merged, to, right? And they merged. Right. But when Paul came over, we hadn't merged. Okay, right. so he had come from Sir George, and and my very fr- I always remember my very my very first training camp, my very first day, Bob. I had a great, and I was with the junior varsity, and he came in and and uh, he said, I want you up with the varsity next <clears throat> yeah. uh, tomorrow. Unfortunately, my dad died that night. Yeah. So I never got up to the varsity that year. I played junior varsity hockey. Uh, Paul was really instrumental. Didn't your, didn't your cousin play there as well? Oh, yeah. Michael Lowe was one of the highest college-drafted kids to play at yeah. Loyola College. Yeah. And a lot of the reason that's why we went. A lot of the Lowe's went to Loyola. Sure. So uh, Loyola and Sir George Williams merged to be Concordia College. We're joined right now by Concordia University. Ken Lowe. Uh, so spec football. I mean, we love. We both love football. So it was the Eskimos. That was that your first major? Did, were you with when another? When did you start with the Eskimos? When did you start with the Eskimos? Eighty-two. Okay, Hugh Campbell brought me out here in 1982. I was uh, after I graduated in, in uh, 1978 from Concordia. I got the head job there because Gary Cummings went moved over to the Montreal West, okay. and so he recommended me. So for three years, I was the head athletic therapist at Concordia University in Montreal in '82. Uh, and I think in many ways, uh, Kevin, you know, was instrumental. They they let him know, and I got a call from Hugh Campbell. Uh, I was interviewed, uh, and it was funny because Hugh said to me when he interviewed me. What impressed Hugh was the fact that Kevin and his roommate had gone to a certain individual's funeral that year, mm-hmm. and it really impressed Hugh. But he said to me at the time, he said, but I'm going to be honest with you, the fact you and your brother are close is not really good for you getting the job. And I looked at him, and I said, what does it mean? He says, because brothers will talk, and what takes place in this dress room has to stay in this dress room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was the individual who hired me, Hugh Campbell. Okay, so you get in. That's the last year of the Eskimos dynasty, mm-hmm. 78 to 82. Uh, you still had a lot of great players, but some guys were coming to go on. But what I want to ask you is uh, the difference between being the head athletic therapist in football and in hockey. I lectured at Concordia University for three years, and I would say to all my students, if you take a garbage bag and you throw in soccer injuries, hockey injuries, basketball injuries, and baseball injuries, and you shake it, you got football. You got football. <laughs> okay? You don't go through a season without losing players. And I remember saying to Jackie Parker, I said, Jackie, how many teams would we go through if we played an 82-game season? He said four. Four complete teams. Yeah. So the impact in the game, and, and you guys have seen in hockey, 
there can go a game where you won't see a hit. Okay, and you understand, they're playing 82 games. Especially these days. There's more <laughs> puck injuries now than hit injuries, it seems like. Have you seen a game in football where there's not a hit? Yeah, no. You know, so, th- so that's where the difference, and that was the intriguing part for me, was having a game on Sunday, okay, getting a player injured, now can I get him ready for the following Sunday? And that was a real challenge. Who, uh, Dan, surely there's got to be stories about Dan Kepley. Yeah, there's, like, no, there's, there's, there's. Uh, why, did you guys have to hide the helmet on him when he got knocked out in games and stuff like that? Uh, Danny was probably beyond anything that I can describe when it comes to toughness. I, I think I would say Pain stupidity. Threshold. I would say stupidity. Yeah, okay, really? it, went, it went beyond that. Yeah, really. Very first training camp, <laughs> Danny collides with. With Marco Sincar, okay, yeah. I run out to both of them, and Danny's saying to me, "See Marco, see Marco." Marco was a little dazed, and taking him off the sideline. Danny dislocated his shoulder, but I'm not hearing this. Okay, next morning he comes in the training room, all the players are on the, and Danny never wanted to show injuries to people. And he comes in, and he's all dressed, ready to go out to the field. He says, and he called me kid. I was kid. Okay, I was only two years younger, but I was kid. He says, kid, I got a little problem here, and I looked at him. And he says. He can't lift his shoulder. I said, Danny, you can't go. No. He runs out to practice. So I go out to Hugh. And I said to Hugh, I said, Danny can't lift his shoulder. Okay. At this point, I still don't know that he's dislocated his shoulder the day, for, the day before and popped it in. Hugh goes and talks to him. They have, a, <clears throat> they have a little chat. Comes back to me. Hugh says, Danny will be okay. We're playing my first exhibition game the next day in BC. Danny's not dressing. Okay. As I'm standing on the sidelines, he comes to me and says, hey, kid. You got to learn something. I don't miss games. And I, now I'm trying to be logical with him and saying, "Well, Danny, how good how good would you be?" Out no, no. He says, "You're not listening, to me, kid. I don't miss games." Right. And he walked away. He played that whole season with a shoulder that kept popping out. And the players would come to me. His linebackers would come. To me, he said, "Danny, shoulder popped out." I said, "I know." I go tell Dr. Cameron. Dr. Cameron would come back to me. He says, "He says he's fine." When Dr. Cameron operated on him two days after that Great Cup in '82. Dr. Gordon Cameron said that when he put Danny out, okay, the shoulder fell out. That's how loose that shoulder that shoulder yeah. was. Late through in the midway through that season, hmm. Hugh Campbell comes in to Dr. Cherry and I, and he says, uh, <clears throat> "What do you think about Danny?" And we're saying, well, "Listen, you know, the shoulder keeps popping up. He won't say anything." So he says, "What do you think if we gave him a couple games off to, you know, get the swelling down and stuff like that?" And we said, "Yeah." That would be perfect. He looked at Dr. Cherry and I said, you tell him. He walked out. Yeah, I remember as well, 76 or 77, maybe uh, Dwayne Mandrzejczyk might remember this. Uh, He hit Steve Molnar, and it was a helmet-to-helmet collision, and they both were knocked, you know what, out. And they had to hide the helmet on him because he wanted to go back in and play. He had a full-on concussion. Yeah. And they 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 hid the helmet inside the uh, little equipment box there, right? Because the guy was relentless and and he was searching for it, losing his you know what on the sidelines. He was. Uh, and that's when he that's when he probably grabbed Dr. Cherry by the throat and lifted him. I've always heard about that much. story about yeah. grabbing Dr. Cherry and yeah. li- literally lifting him off his feet. Danny was like that. He was so competitive. Yeah. You know. Here we go. Uh, Ken, we're going to take a break here. We'll tell you that Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for 49 years. For many in locations, visit royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app at the App Store. We'll talk about uh, the transition into hockey and a player that had the pain threshold of a cadaver when we return in orders now. 
This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, welcome back, everybody. Very quickly to this day in Oilers history for New West Travel. They've got destination wedding packages and corporate employee reward trips. Visit newwesttravel.com for more information. Here's Brendan Escott. Brendan? All right, Bob, thank you. Uh, back in 1999 on this day, Mike Greer scores his first career hat trick and newly acquired Ethan Morrow picked up three assists in his first game as an Oiler. That was in a 4-3 win against the Canucks at Northlands. That same day, the team acquired Tommy Sallow from the Islanders in exchange for Mats Lindgren and an eighth-round pick. Trade deadline was later at that stage. This day in Oilers history brought to you by New West Travel. Call about their destination wedding packages and co- corporate employee reward trips. Visit newwesttravel.com for more information. Very quickly, give us an AJ update. What's going on with Sherwood Park? They got uh, the Benning kids already there right now. There's another kid they're going to be getting as well? Uh, Quite possibly, and nothing confirmed yet, and certainly a lot up in the air uh, as to which team Matthew Savoy is going to go to, but he has opted for Denver, so uh, we'll have to see. Some bunch of teams are going to be in the running for him, obviously. Uh, Crusaders hold a 3-1 series lead right now over Fort McMurray. They won both games on the road. Game 5 goes on Friday, and that is to play Spruce Grove, who won. uh, They swept Bonneville in the other North Division semifinal. They're good every year. All right, let's bring Ken Lowe back in. Uh, he, longtime Edmonton Oilers and Edmonton Eskimos therapist, uh, along with uh, Mark Spector, Stoffer Inspector for Horse Racing Alberta. Ken inducted as the 2019 uh, inductee for the Professional Hockey Athletic Trainers Society. So you go from football to hockey. Now, Kevin was with the team at that time. Right. Was there any reservations because Kevin was with the Oilers at that stage for you? Uh, well, I, when when and, and to get, find out how I got there was Barry Stafford. Peter Miller had moved to on to uh, L.A. and yep. Barry gave me this call that he wanted to come over and talk to me about some names he had about taking Peter's spot. Never thinking that he was coming in to lasso me because I, I enjoyed football. It was yep. a challenge, but and he really sold me. He he sold me, uh, you know, the job and stuff like that. And so I. I phoned Kevin. I said, Kevin, how would you like to have your brother as your trainer? And he said, I was hoping you would do it. You'd take it. That's how I. That's how I got over there. So you, but Slats was the guy that hired you at that stage. Yeah, yeah. But Slats stayed out of it, okay? Because I was under you know contract with the Eskimos, and he didn't want to get involved. So I didn't talk to Slats until it was all done. All right. Um, would it just be? Kenny, as you worked a long, long time, and, and we just talked about Kepley and how in the old days, guys like Kepley would basically tell the training staff if he was going to play. And you were, you know, relatively, relatively powerless to change a guy's mind like that, right? Fair enough. Um, today, we've gone the other way. Today, we've got concussion protocol. We've, I, I, I honestly believe that today, the players, uh, the team cares better for the players than they used to. They they protect the player from himself, perhaps, better than they used to. Have we gone a long ways in that in your eyes, and, and maybe should we have started sooner down that road? Well, you know, one of the things that I've, and I've said this before, and I know people look at me when I say it, but, you know, when a player was hurt, gets hurt, it's the coach who makes a decision whether he plays, when he plays, stuff like that. We take him the information, okay? We take him, this is what he's got, this is how long he's going to be out, and stuff like that. The coaches are always want their players back, and they're always putting pressure on, on mm-hmm. okay? We need to be a buffer, and that's what trainers are really, are a buffer. There's one thing that I always did. My, all my coaches stood by me, and they said, if you ever overrule me on a head injury, I'll resign on the spot. Okay, I'm an epileptic from the injury I had back way back in '72. Right. Okay, so 
I understand head injuries. And one thing I think where we've come from, okay, is I think we've gone from one extreme to the other extreme now. We're, we're, you know, we're so protective, but maybe that's the way it should be. The thing about trainers, though, okay, they know their players, okay? You know what? That that 15-minute rule where they put them in the room, back the quiet room, room, quiet room is the smartest thing they can do because you got to understand the player's on the bench. He's bending. you got the coach looking at him. you got the players looking at him. Yeah. He's trying to catch his breath. Loud ring. I'm trying to talk to him, okay? And you know what? He's going to decide. I'm ready, okay? Boom. You take him in that room, and i got 15 minutes, and within five minutes, I know that guy isn't ready to play. You know because he's your player. You've dealt with him. You know what he's supposed yeah. to look like. Exactly. You've got the baseline tests, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I, I always tell everyone, especially when I had a player, I would tell them about the Toddy Marchand. Okay, Tony Marchand got knocked out in the playoffs against Dallas just prior to the uh, end of the game, got smoked. Okay, we get off to play, we're charting right back, and I go to Doctor Reed and I said, Doctor Reed, check to make sure he can fly. Okay, the next day, Toddy phones me. We had a day off. He says, I'm go- I'm okay. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stay home with with my family. Okay, I feel. I said, no headaches. No, nah, I feel really good. Okay. Next morning, he gets on the ice, he comes off the ice, goes, holy Jesus, Kenny, everything is so fast out there, okay? <laughs> now, you remember <laughs> flu-like symptoms? That was started with us. Flu-like okay? symptoms. Because Barry Stafford had gotten the flu. Okay. So this is what we said Toddy Marchand had, right. okay? But he had, he, had, he but had symptoms of a concussion. All right. Very quickly, uh, two of the toughest guys fair to say, I believe Robert Bradley said of Jason Smith that he had the pain threshold of a cadaver, and Kevin Lowe, I know, played at least with broken ribs and a broken wrist uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. How the hell did you play the broken wrist? I don't know. Was it a broken wrist? Is that what he had? Yeah, he he was casted, his wrist was casted, but it was because of the wrist that he broke, because of the wrist that he broke the ribs, because he couldn't get puck in the corner, and that's how he broke his ribs. Were they two of the toughest guys, like two guys that just refused to be pulled out of lineups? Yeah. Yeah, in, in in the world of hockey, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I remember, you know, John Muckler once saying to me when I tried to convince him not to play Kevin because he had his badly sprained ankle, and Johnny said, Kenny, I'll play him with one ankle than some of my players with two. So that's the way Kevin was. Pain right. threshold, right? And then exactly. and then Kevin fired you. We won't go there. He made a change. He made a change. You know, Kevin and I, we we, we we're okay with that. And I, and you know what? There was something as 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 he said to me. He didn't fire me. He kept, he said, you know, he graduated s- you. Steve did. Okay. Yeah. He was president of hockey operations. It was his yeah, job, right. and it was Steve's job. And you know, yep. Steve decided he wanted to make changes. That's as I said, to, I said to Kevin. That really worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> All righty. Uh, Ken, hey, thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Uh, appreciate the time. Maybe we'll do this one time in the summer as well when we got a little bit more time to do it. Spec, thanks for sticking around the extra half hour. T- tomorrow, uh, we have two heavy hitters. Uh, Louis DeBrus from NHL Hockey and Rogers and courtesy of Canadian Power Pack, Brian Burke, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service. Tonight on Inside Sports, Reed Wilkins has... A full slate here, Bob. He's got a couple of the Oil Kings coming in. Luke Philp will appear on his show, as will Kelly Rudy. All right, up next, the news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, followed by the 6.30 chat afternoon news with Jalen I and Andrew Gross. So long, everybody. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chad.